0: big shout out okay to everybody who uh did the discipleship class today uh, obviously that's huge but um we should give them a round of applause because uh this building did not open up until about 9:52 or something like that uh and we are usually here an hour before that and y'all didn't even know like they were just on the ball all right so thank you for real i mean a big like that's things that we don't see behind the behind the scenes right Um, So thanks, y'all, for serving and kind of diving in and getting everything ready and yeah, that was, a. Uh, am back, I'm present, all right, I was stressed, real talk, so here we go, all right, uh, I'm glad y'all are here, uh, we are diving into the last portion of our Genesis series, uh, and we're jumping in with Joseph, and so uh, if you've been with us for a while, we've been tracking through the book of Genesis, and we're finally to our last kind of main character that we'll be studying, and so minus next week, where uh, the story takes a quick detour, the whole context of this is going to be looking at the life of Joseph, and really how God will bring about a ton of redemption in the midst of suffering and so i think that for us this will be a really encouraging time because i think more than almost any other uh character we can really relate with this character in very very beautiful ways and so uh there's a ton of interesting things in here a ton of joseph's life that will just be really transferable to our lives so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. Uh, Genesis 37 is where we will begin today, start a Joseph story. If you don't have a Bible, there's some under every second and third chair somewhere around you. Uh, if you do not own the Word, please take and keep that. It's our gift to you. We want you to have the Word to be able to use it during the week. You can also follow along on your smartphone if you wish. If you have the YouVersion app underneath the tab section, uh, type in event, uh, and then you'll be able to follow along that way. You can type in the Well Austin. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you can actually take this link and put it right into your browser and you'll be able to follow along that way as well. Uh, We say this every week because we mean this. Uh, We want your eyes on the Word. And so whether that's on your phone, in the physical text, whatever that may be, uh, we want you to see that we're not making this up. Uh, We really believe that the Bible is God's Word to us and that uh, He wants to communicate to us and to who we are in a very personal and in a real way, and that His Word is living and active. It is true for us today as it was 6,000 years ago for Joseph. And so uh, hopefully we'll be able to see some of that this morning. So quick recap, all right, if you've been with us, Jacob, our previous character, uh, was dwelling in Shechem, a place that he should not have been in. And we saw the very terrible consequences of that last week and that his daughter, uh, Dinah, ended up actually getting raped by the men of Shechem. And then in contrast to that, uh, Jacob's sons ended up kind of raping the city by killing all the men. And so there's kind of all this drama and all this tension. And a lot of it was because of Jacob's inability to actually follow through with what God had called him to do. However, in the two chapters leading up to this chapter, Jacob actually did finally obey God, and he began to go, and he landed in Bethel, which is where God called him to in the first place. There, what God did was he renamed Jacob Israel for the second time, which is actually a really great lesson for us in that God is willing to forgive us even in our mistakes. Like, even when we kind of walk into the will of God, and then kind of walk back out of the will of God, and we're in and out as Jacob is his whole life, God is still willing to re-establish his plan, to re-establish his covenants, to bring us back into intimacy because God does this with Jacob over and over and over and, over and over and over and over and over and over and over again, okay? And so this is where Jacob is. He finally lands at Bethel. He has been renamed Israel again. God actually calls him this and he reestablishes what, uh, what is happening and the whole grand narrative which is at some point there's going to be a promised seed that is going to come, the seed of Eid that will crush the head of the serpent and will free us from all of the drama that's happening, and so now we get on to Jacob's sons. He had 12 sons, and uh, we start with Joseph's life. So, Genesis chapter 37, and the story actually picks up in verse 2. So, let's begin there. It says, These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Billah and Zilpha, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons, because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that, their father loved them more than, any, or than all his brothers. They hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. So as soon as we step in on the Joseph story, we see family conflict and drama right? It's kind of like movies. Movies usually set up the characters and kind of begin to let you get invested in the characters and then begin to build dramatic tension. Not this movie, right? This is more like a James Bond movie where you walk in and immediately there's gunfire and explosions, okay? And that's what's happening here in this story is immediately there's this conflict. There are these uh, gunfires and explosions, if you will. Joseph is a young 17-year-old kid, and he brings a bad report, the text says, to Jacob, his father. That word bad report, every time it's used in scripture is more uh, probably better translated a slanted report or like a a incorrect report in some ways. And so either Jacob is, I'm sorry, Joseph is trying to kind of elevate himself to the father. He's tattletaling, if you will, or he's literally just straight up lying and trying to vie for a position in some ways. And so worse, Jacob loved Joseph like crazy. So he probably believed the brother. If you have a big family with multiple Multiple siblings, You can probably relate that, you know, the parents really do always have favorites, if we're honest, all right? And sometimes there are uh, these uh, uh, brothers or sisters that kind of tattletale and kind of want to promote themselves. Maybe you were that person. There's grace for you, okay? But this is where Joseph is. So even though Jacob knew the damages that favoritism could cause because his own daddy, Isaac, had a favorite son and it was not Jacob, it was Esau. And Jacob saw all the damage that that caused in the family and yet and still he was not able to break the chains of the sin of the generation above him, which this is true in our own lives too. It's easy for us to actually carry forth the sins of our mothers and our fathers and live them out in our own lives as well, unable to break that chain. So though Jacob knew the damage, he still walked in that same pattern of living, of showing favoritism with his son. So he made him a robe that could be seen by 12 miles away because it was a rainbow robe, okay? That was not fashionable then just as it would not be now, all right? And so you could see him from all over, but it would indeed make a statement, right? You could see this guy from miles and miles away. So his brothers hated him, Right, They hated him. And the biblical family, again, like always, is in this conflict or it's in this drama. It's in this kind of clash collision. Like like these are the people by which they're supposed to bring about the salvation of mankind. Welcome. God uses messed up people. That should also encourage you. Keep reading. Verse 5. Now Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. And he said to them, hear this. Dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us, or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed another dream, and he told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun and the moon and eleven stars were bowing down to me. But, he told, uh, but when he told this to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. Joseph isn't just a sort of bratty tattletale, he's an arrogant boaster as well, bragging over his brothers about the vision that the Lord has given him. Rather than this vision kind of humbling him in some ways, the vision actually inflates him in these ways. And uh, we see that the first dream actually produced hatred of the brothers, and so very naturally he tells them the second dream as well. Because you know, when somebody hates you, you just tell them something to make them hate you more, right? Like, this is Joseph. This is the character that we're seeing here. So we have to pause for a second here and ask, why is the text actually so centered around the person of Joseph? Because here's a really interesting thing. Unlike his forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we've been looking for this promised seed to come. And Joseph, spoiler alert, is not the promised seed, if you cannot tell, even just by those few verses, right? Joseph is not the one that will deliver us from sin, however, very ironically, Joseph isn't even going to bear the promised seed. It's not through Joseph's line that the seed ultimately comes, it's actually through Judah's line. Yet, Genesis gives more narrative to Joseph than it does to the first 11 chapters holistically, like the creation of mankind with Adam and Eve and Noah and all that. And it gives more than any other biblical patriarch, more than Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob. It focuses on a guy that won't even bring about the salvation of mankind, though the scriptures are really trying to help us understand how God is working to bring about our redemption. So we kind of have to ask, hey, hey, what is this? Like, like, why is the scripture spending so much time with somebody who ultimately won't even really bring about redemption? Well, there are three likely reasons for this, and all three of them are very powerful reasons. One of them is that Joseph did, in a way, say save all the people okay much like esther who also was a, not a part of the promised line but uh, she saved the whole group of israelites from utter destruction genocide was going to happen and she risked her life that they may be saved well in joseph's story what happens is that there's a famine in the land And his brothers have to come because Joseph ends up in Egypt, as we'll see even today, and they have to bow down to him. The dream is actually fulfilled, and he is able to deliver them, literally save them from starvation. And so in a lot of ways, if it were not for Joseph, the promised seed would not be able to come in the first place. And so much like Esther, though he is not a part of that promised line, he is a part of making sure that Israel is saved, and ultimately through that, the world ends up being saved. And so this is important in the biblical narrative of redemption. Secondly, there's probably no character in all of the scriptures that actually imitates and reflects Christ more than Joseph, both in his personhood and in his experiences. In fact, J. Vernon McGee, who's a commentator and a a biblical teacher, said that uh, he counts 30 such examples at which Joseph immediately reflects or is a foreshadow or a type of Christ, 30 of them, And so we'll draw some of those out, but no other character has this much in common with Christ. And so that's one of the reasons is that he's a Christ figure in some ways. But thirdly, his life is honorable, and it's a great, great, great example for believers. We can actually learn a lot by imitating Joseph, by living the type of life that Joseph lived, by following in his footsteps in some ways. However, my man's is in need of some redemption here, right? And probably some counseling as well, Okay. Joseph does not start off in the biblical narrative in a great light whatsoever. In fact, you probably could not start off a biblical narrative worse than Joseph starts. We don't know who this man is. We don't know anything about him. It starts off in verse 2, and he's tattletaling or lying about his brothers. And then he's giving these these dreams and and trying to to get his brothers really jealous in a lot of ways. And so Joseph seems to be like a 17-year-old know-it-all because that never happens, right? Who has not really been humbled by life, okay? And therefore, because he has not been humbled, he's unable to be used in a lot of ways. God is going to have to put this man through some suffering in order to be able to fulfill what God has actually called him to do. But what he does is he uses his position, he uses his influence, he uses his gifts, if you will, to elevate himself above the brothers. And so for someone so honorable, there really couldn't be a worse introduction than this man. Now, the crazy thing is that from this point on, after this story today, we do not see another moment in Joseph's life that is even kind of questionable in a lot of ways. Like he is a, an exemplary man after this, but here he's kind of messed up. So he's not the promised seed. In fact, right away, we see a negative example from Joseph not to follow, We should not be people who use our gifts or our talents or our positions or our influence or our status to boast or to brag or to lift ourselves up above others. This is not Christ-like. This is not what Jesus would have done. Though Jesus was the king of the universe and actually the one that had the ability to really kind of boast and brag above all of us, he did none of that. But instead he laid down his life and became minimal. He became almost nothing. He became nothing to be marveled at, the scriptures say. Why? So that we who were actually nothing to be marveled at may be lifted up and elevated in him. Christ is our ultimate example, and Joseph is the counterexample to that in a lot of ways. He's using his position to make much of himself. The reason that we tend to do that and that you may struggle with that is that we have a hard time finding our value and our identity and our worth in the Lord. And so because we don't feel valuable or because we don't feel like we have things to offer, we have to kind of make much of ourselves so that everybody else will like us and will give us value or honor because we do not know how to find that in Christ himself. We do not believe that when we are saved, God looks at us and says, well done, I love you, you are my son, you are my daughter, I am pleased with you. And so because we don't believe that, we begin to work and we work and we work to try to create this in ourselves because it's actually a lack of faith is really what it is. We don't believe that God actually has called us sons and daughters like he says. We don't believe that we will be justified, sanctified, and glorified. We don't believe that glory will come, so we have to try to steal glory from other people on earth. St. Keller, I mean Tim Keller He says, that's like my favorite joke now. I already used that once. I'm going to use it like three more times, all right? So just FYI. He has this great quote. He says this, there's nothing that makes you more miserable or less interesting than self-absorption. That's very, very true, right? The self-absorbed man is an uninteresting man. It's hard to even be around in some ways. He actually has a great book on this topic called The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. And if you have a Detroit public school system education like I do and you don't read good, all right, this is a great book for you, Okay. It's 44 pages long and the font is like 18 font you can read it in like 20 minutes, all right? And so it's a really really good book if you struggle with this. Joseph needed this book and he needed some suffering, okay? In fact, we actually see this throughout the scripture. You think about in the New Testament, in the church church of Corinth, we see this over and over and over again. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and in chapter 14, they're boasting or they are bragging in the gifts that God has given them. I speak in tongues. I can preach. I'm an encourager. I have the gift of prophecy. I I I I I look at me, look at me, and we begin to use the gifts that have been given to us not to serve others, but to serve ourselves and to elevate ourselves because we don't truly believe in the gospel. So let me put it really simply, if you have to always talk about yourself or always promote yourself before others, friends, this is not a good thing. You sound like, you look like Joseph, and you actually create the same thing that Joseph creates. Minimal, uninterest, people don't really want to be around you, but at maximum, actually jealousy and hatred, you create this elevation in your own heart, which is actually pride, and you create a distancing from other people, you kind of separate community in some ways, I say this as somebody who struggles with it myself. That I desire to be justified. I desire to be glorified in some ways. And so I want you to think that I am something because I forget how to find that in Jesus. I forget how to find my value, my worth, my identity, my purpose, who I am in Christ. And so when I don't find it there, man, I need it from you and from you and from you and from everybody in this room. And all of a sudden, my ego inflates and I become uninteresting and really I become a lack of a servant. I begin to serve myself rather than you and that is not what the people of God do. We serve each other. We lay down our lives for each other. So Joseph is an example of what not to be like in our first character. Don't be like Joseph and allow your gifts to rule is our first point. Don't be like Joseph and allow your gifts, your status to rule. When that rules in your heart, And when that rules in your conversation, when that rules in your life, man, things go chaotic and corrupt pretty quickly. Now, notice the brothers here. In fact, the word brother is used 21 times in this section, 21 times in 36 verses. In other words, more than every other verse, the word brother is used. But notice the feeling that the brothers have here. They hate Joseph, it says, in verses 4, 5, and 8. They are jealous of Joseph, which I know in our language isn't as strong of a word, but it's an even stronger word. Jealousy leads to murder. And so they want to murder him in a lot of ways. And then you see that even more in verses 5 and 8, they hate him even more. Jacob's favoritism and Joseph's lack of humility made it pretty much unbearable for the brothers to be around him. And so what happens? Well, we're going to read a large chunk here, but if you're not familiar with the biblical narrative, you could probably still kind of guess what's going to happen. right? Like like this has been a a corrupt, a messed up family in a lot of ways. So if you've been with us, you've you've seen kind of the dissension and really the type of people that God uses to make much of himself. And these are the same type of people. God chooses the messed up of us. Start in verse 18. They, the brothers, saw him, Joseph, from afar, And Reuben said to them, "Shed no blood, throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him, that we might or that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father." So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, and they uh, took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty and there was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat. And looking up they saw a caravan with Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. With their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. Then uh, Midianite traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver, and they took Joseph to Egypt. So obviously there's a lot here, but we see once again in the brothers this moment, right? The, the, The Cain and Abel moment, the Jacob and Esau moment, and now Joseph and his brothers, that brother is against brother, and murder is going to happen within the very family of God. And Joseph's brothers, a lot like the Joseph's brothers last week that we looked at, we have another negative example not to follow. Don't be hating on people around you, all right? Easy put, okay? Jealousy, excuse me, will never, ever, ever produce godliness. It will only produce dissension or mistrust or uh, uh, defamation or even murder at its deepest roots. And so our second point is do not be like the brothers and allow jealousy to rule. Do not be like the brothers and allow jealousy to rule when we allow jealousy to rule in our hearts and in our lives and in our head and in the world around us, it does nothing but rip others apart and it kind of shreds the relational fabric that God intends us to have with the people of God. Once again, as somebody who wrestles with this, who tends to want the blessing of other people, I get jealous often forgetting that it is God himself that blesses us with the gifts in the first place. I have nothing to be jealous of. I mean, can we like real talk for a moment? Okay. Like, Like, I'm a child of God, (laughs) right? I mean, like, what else do I want? If the Lord decided to remove every single ounce of blessing from my life and he took away my family and my health and and my possessions and my friends and the church and every single thing I had, I am a child of God, (laughs) that is not taken away. Our salvation is secured when we believe in Jesus. And so literally, even if I do not get it here on earth at one point, everything that my heart desires will actually be uh, 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 given to me in heaven. I will one day receive that. And so when I become jealous of what other people have here on earth, it's me not believing in the gospel again. It's me not believing in the future that one day God will make all things right. And maybe even what my heart craves is actually kind of a good thing. Because see, the brothers, they didn't receive the love from the father. They, they didn't receive the elevation that was due to them. And so in a way, what they desired was not a bad thing in and of itself, but their means of trying to get that was what was bad. If they actually believed that God is a good father... That though their daddy wasn't really loving them, that the ultimate daddy could love them far more than a love that they can ever even imagine or conceive in and of themselves. If they began to see the gospel, if they preached the gospel to themselves, then man, they, they wouldn't be wrestling with this, right? But they are because they don't believe it. And we do because we don't believe it, right? If we are children of God, then what do we need to be jealous of? We have what we need in Christ, All things for life and godliness, Peter tells us. And so you see Joseph once again, his braggadocious character. He's wearing a robe in the Middle East, in the desert, okay? Like during the harvest season, it is hot, okay? It's like it was outside today when we almost had to have church outside because this building wasn't open. I was like, we're just canceling church, yo. I ain't preaching outside, right? Like it's hot, okay? And so this is Joseph, but he's wearing this robe, right, of many colors. It had to be somewhat of a big robe because it had multiple colors on it, and they see him from far away, and they say, hey, let's kill him, And instead, Judah kind of says, hey, actually, let's throw them in a pit, And then or Reuben, and then Judah says, let's sell him. So after they throw him in the pit, and they're kind of plotting, hey, how are we going to kill him? Are we just going to let him starve? What are we going to do? They sit down in verse 25, and they have a picnic. You know, because that's what you do when you're just plotting murder, right? You have a picnic together. I point this out because it's kind of ironic, and it's another you reap what you sow moment. See, here, the brothers are feasting while Joseph is starving in the pit. But in a few chapters, Joseph will be feasting while his brothers are starving. And in irony, Joseph at that moment will get to decide whether he wants to be gracious and merciful and bless his brothers, though they cursed him, or if he was going to return and retaliate and actually give judgment and justice against his brothers, which would have been rightly due. As you can probably tell, Joseph chose the right thing in mercy Right? But his brothers here are feasting right in front of this man. None of the brothers are righteous. Even Reuben is actually driven by selfishness. And so he says, actually, no, 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 let's let's not kill him. Let's uh let's let's you know let's throw him in this pit and figure it out. And then when the brothers were gonna leave, Reuben was gonna kind of sneak behind and bring Joseph back to his dad and say, The brothers are trying to kill him, but look at me. And then Reuben was gonna position himself, right? Because he's jealous. He wants a high position. And so he had false intentions here, as we'll even read in the next verse. He was planning on saving Joseph's life, not for Joseph's life, but for his life. And so he too is not a righteous man. They're all jealous. They cannot marvel at other people's blessings. They cannot honor other people's blessings. They cannot promote other people. They have to promote themselves. All right, let's finish our text here. Verse 29. When Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes and returned to his brothers and said, The boy is gone, and I, where shall I go? There you have his selfishness. Uh, then they took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat, and dipped the robe and the blood. And they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to the father, and said, This we have found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. <laughs> and he identified and said, It is my son's robe. We see Joseph's mourning here. In fact, there's deep irony because at the beginning of Joseph's story, he too took a goat and killed it and put on the cloth and went and deceived his own father. And now here, his sons kill a goat, dip it in blood and bring a cloth to deceive their father. Another example of you reap what you sow in a lot of ways. The scripture is not ashamed to show that over and over and over again. In fact, it's with the same type of animal, with the same type of cloth in the same type of way. And Jacob is so blinded by his favoritism in a lot of ways that he can't even kind of see what the brothers are doing. Jacob kind of brought this on himself in some ways, not that the sons were righteous by any means, of course they weren't, but even look at the son's language here at the end, right? Like in verse 32, for example, he says, his son versus our brother, like even though the word brother is used 21 times in the text, they can't bear to even call him a brother. They call him your son. Is this your son's robe, right? Completely distancing that relationship from him. They try to tear the relationship from their dad even. So Joseph may be blind to it, but we as the readers of the story are not blind to it. And it's clear our third point in our character not to be like is Jacob. Don't be like Jacob and allow favoritism to rule. When you do this, you don't treat everyone as equals, and though we are in the image of God, you don't give everyone the dignity that they are due, and you kind of create sin not just in your own heart, but also in the hearts of others. When you be